You're listening to Ghost Radio, Station 0.5. It's the devil in the dive, and up next is another rad episode of Bad Band, Great Song. He's very much alive. He's 68. He's almost ooh, ooh, next year, baby. Nice. He turns. He turns the nice age. I just at the vet. Felice weighs the nice weight. <laughs> Does she? <laughs> yeah, she's a big girl. Good for her. Good for her. Well, you know what? Talking about Felice, I think that actually that segues into that segues in nicely because I want to listen. Listen, I just want to assure every, you too, Jerry. I want to assure you, and I want to assure everybody at home. No horses. No horses today. There's no, there's not going to be any talk about horses. Luckily for me, actually, I'm probably not going to yell once in this episode. It's not about Christian rock. There's yeah, no that's Christian. Nice. That is nice, right? However, though, this is going to be, a, it's probably very much going to be a horny podcast. Uh, man, how, how horny are we talking about? The full spectrum, full spectrum, because I have a lot spectrum. to say about this. I, right. We'll get into it more, but Crazy Town's definitely very unintentionally, very unintentionally gay, <laughs> which, is my favorite, which is my favorite kind of gay. But it's also like, it's also heavily gendered and super binary and hyper hetero, which is like, yeah, actually kind of. Pretty fucking gay now that now that I say all that, yeah. you know what I mean. But uh, but we're gonna we're gonna get into it later. We're gonna get into it later. But this song makes me want TLDR. Spoiler alert: This song makes me want to do very very straight things. Oh, this one God. girl, this one girl, lovely lady in particular, who's been seeing me. She well, we can talk about this later. She knows what I'm talking, and she knows what I'm talking about. But we can talk about it later. That's the least straight sounding wanting straight <laughs> sex. <laughs> Just like shout out to a girl I've ever heard. But are we doing, are we going to do a podcast about music or are we sticking to the sex life? We should start a second one. <laughs> or we just do ASMR and just like. Mm. Well, in answer to your question, Jerry, it is. It is what? It is the podcast will piss you off hey everybody welcome to the show we are bad band great song <laughs> you know hey i am your host andrew patrick finelli and with me is your other host of the show jeremy cohen jerry how you done how you been the band we're focusing our critique on today is crazy town and their song butterfly Come my lady, come come my lady, you're my butterfly, sugar baby. Come my lady, come come my lady, you're my butterfly, sugar baby. Such a sexy, sexy, pretty little thing. This paper bitch, you got me sprung with your tongue ring. And I ain't gonna lie, cause your loving gets me high. So to keep you by my side, there's nothing that I won't try. Butterflies in her eyes and her looks to kill. Time is passing, I'm asking, could this be real? Cause I can't sleep, I can't hold still. The only thing I really know is she got sex appeal. I can feel, too much is never enough. You always there to lift me up when these times get rough. I was lost, now I'm found, ever since you've been around. You're the woman that I want, so you're putting it down. Come, my lady, come, come, my lady, you're my butterfly, sugar, baby. Come, my lady, you're my pretty baby, I'll make your legs shake, you make me 
a butterfly. Sugar, baby. Come my lady, oh my pretty baby, I'll make your legs shake. You make me go crazy. Come my lady, come, come my lady. Sugar, baby. It's just dripping with, with just sex appeal. Right. That I can feel. Butterflies, the hypnotic, tawdry, sexy, buoyant, vibe-heavy third single off of Crazy Town's debut album, The Gift of Game. I'm real, real excited for this one. <sighs> so why? Butterfly, <laughs> Butterfly is Crazy Town's biggest hit. It's a single that pushed their album to platinum status, selling 1.6 million copies. A lot of copies. Right, in a time when people bought the CD to get the single. Right. <laughs> Insane. That was the only way you could hear the song when you wanted to. Mind-blowing. Butterfly is not only the band's biggest hit, <laughs> it's their only hit, it's the most distinct sound they ever created, and they were never able to replicate its magic. Can anyone, though? Well, we were just discussing. Maybe Paul Oakenfold did, actually. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I think, as you pointed out, folks, you, you didn't hear this part. This happened uh, earlier on. Jerry pointed out Paul Oakenfold probably knows Seth Binzer yeah. <laughs> in Crazy Town better than Seth Binzer in Crazy Town, too. He definitely knows where to put him in a song yeah, and how absolutely. to produce a song for him. Whatever. We'll get there. <laughs> Well, unlike some of our bands that we focused on, New Radicals, Soul Song, which really can be boiled down to just one guy, and that actually applies to the next episode, too. Crazy Town, quite a band, but it is more of a bond. <laughs> I didn't realize what I wrote when I wrote this sentence. It's a, <laughs> it's a bond between two men. <laughs> and less, less of a band of various essential characters who define the group's sound. Crazy Town is the story of Seth, Shifty, Shellshock, Binzer, and Brett, Epic, Mazer. Uh, but it, it, it's mostly about Binzer. Crazy Town absolutely does not have fans. They have stands. I if you fuck with Crazy Town, and that's a flag you fly, oh. We shit. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not judging you. Sounds like I'm judging you, but I'm not judging you. <laughs> I'm not into attack the fan shit. I don't, I don't fuck with fandoms, but I'm not trying to fuck with fans either if you feel me. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, when a band is playing shows, <laughs> I'm not talking shit. Let's just look at the numbers. When a band is playing shows to 30 to 60 some odd people, you're a crazy town stan if you fuck with them. Yeah, especially after they have an enormous hit, you know, like it's not like it's a band on the rise where they're starting out. This is post number one hit single and still just a few are showing up. Y'all are stands. <laughs> I mean, they get streams and we'll talk about that. But but yeah, the shows, if you, you're a stand. Anyway, 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 the point is there will be a group of humans in the world We'll be very upset to hear us say Crazy Town is a bad band. And thankfully not too many. <laughs> 30 to 60. <laughs> 30 to 60. Yeah. Right. As always, while... In the major markets. <laughs> the major markets. While we look at that, we are not here to prove to the hardcore fans that Crazy Town is bad, believe it or not. No, we're here to challenge the skeptics to recognize the greatness of their song, Butterfly. Sugar, baby. <laughs> so, we are going to examine Crazy Town and the song, Butterfly, in detail to articulate how and why. To make the case, though, though Crazy Town is a pretty bad band, <laughs> Butterfly is a great song. Shattered windows, weed that wasn't there, Someone knocked out cold and a loaded gun. Cops 
in pursuit. A couple buddies on the run. And don't forget some really silly nicknames. <laughs> Life comes at you quick. For Seth, shift, shifty shell-shocked Binzer, it took roughly seven to ten years of drug addiction, petty crime, and the eventual breaking and entering and attempted robbery of another drug dealer before things began to level out. But this was far from the end. It was merely the end of the beginning of Seth Binzer's problems. And this is all before 1999, which is still a whole year away from the single that would change everything. And eventually propel him into recovery-based reality <laughs> TV, which maybe he was born to do. Oh, you were going to get into that, but I feel so bad about how so entertaining that was to me when I was a 20, 21-year-old young yeah. man. Oh, man. Shattered windows weed that wasn't there, someone knocked out cold and a loaded fucking gun. Cops in pursuit, couple buddies on the run. And some silly nicknames. <laughs> this, this was the attempted robbery of a rival drug dealer. Seth Binzer was a charismatic, cavalier, uncontrollable, and dangerous young punk. The kind of kid who only cares about the good times, feeling good, fucking other people, getting shit over on other people, and other forms of rushes of adrenaline. He wasn't evil, just deeply troubled and addicted to the relief of feeling good from instant pleasure. The kind of guy you don't want on your lawn. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many levels to that one. I can't even begin. I need to could have, a, have to have a show alone for that entire sentence. <laughs> That was a tremendous. Well done. I love you. But no, actually, not in my backyard. So no, we're not going to get that. We're not, we're not going to cause playing as NIMBY right now, attacking Seth Binzer. Anyway, he liked drugs. <laughs> That's what this is what I'm diving back into. Okay. He liked drugs, sex with hot chicks, and dope music. You know, it's actually not to say that's pretty. Pretty cool. I fuck with him. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Here's where things get kind of weird. He also liked respect and his carpet. In a big Lebowski on crack moment that can only be marveled at, Seth Binzer was inconsolable and irate. You see, his carpet had been insulted, metaphorically pissed all over, trashed by other drug dealers for being dirty. Binzer tells Rolling Stone in a March 15th, 2001 article titled <laughs> Shifty Shell Shock of Crazy Town by Gavin Edwards. <laughs> Quote, I was selling weed and this rich guy was also selling weed and he was selling it for fun. I was selling it because I needed the money and I got personal. He said the carpets in my house were dirty. Was he literally talking about carpets or is that just Dude, a euphemism? Literally talking about carpets. Okay. Now vagina. <laughs> No, no, there was not beef over, over females. This was oh, wow. literally about Seth Binzer's carpet leading up his stairway to his, his room. Got it. Yeah, in an interview that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And Seth is just like, he's like, yeah, I had a lot of people walking up my stair, man. A lot of people coming over. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. Hey, and about this affront to his rug, naturally, Seth Binzer decided... Let's rob this motherfucker. It's literally the Big Lebowski. It's literally the Big Lebowski. It's insane. It's actually insane. That's amazing. <laughs> it really is. So here's that interview that I just referenced. On February 2nd, 2020, Seth Shifty Shellshock Binzer appeared on YouTube, YouTuber Scott Bowling's channel for a video titled Shifty of Crazy Town. Good company. Good 
company. Benzer tells Bowling, quote, next thing you know, I'm on America's next, I'm America's most wanted and fucking we're on the run. Seth Shifty Shellshock Benzer was literally on America's most wanted and he was literally on the run from from cops. He and his crew had literally outrun the cops on the freeway because you see, you see Shifty knew the streets. I bet he did. <laughs> With that name, I hope, yeah. I would hope that Shifty Shellshock would know the streets. Well, Binzer tells Bowling, we got away and fucking, next thing you know, I'm on the Fox 11 News. Everyone's just like, ah, oh, shit, Seth fucked up. That same night, Seth, shifty shell-shocked Finzer, actually went to a nightclub. <laughs> In his own words, it was bad news. It's a bold move. <laughs> I love this guy. He's so, he is so pure, is the thing. He's like, he is. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn pure. You know what I mean? Like there's, he doesn't understand the gravity of anything that he does. He just is like, let's have a good time, man. Right. Pure isn't the word I would use, <laughs> but I hear you. <laughs> well, after this nightclub, this, this, this derelict, this reckless nightclub appearance, and just a, se- <laughs> this is true, folks, just a, seven, a 7-Eleven sting operation later, Seth Shifty Shellshock Binzer was under arrest. You mean like he was in a 7-Eleven? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they they pinned, they tracked wow. him. They, yeah, they, they, yes, yes. They tracked him to a 7-Eleven. Yes. I got you. Yes, it's a funny story, but we, we you know. got him. Yeah. So this was roughly sometime in 1997 or 1998. Seth Binzer would most likely be about 24 years old, which is funny because a Rolling Stone report covering this would say that Binzer was 18 at the time, but Binzer was born in 1974. And I know I'm not great at math, but I checked this with technology several times and that would put him about 23, 24 in 97, 98. The super advanced technology of a calculator. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so, I, but what I, I just think this is funny and interesting to note. And the only reason why I want to note this is because I guess this is a really cool example, really cool, a really cool example of Record labels lying to media to make a star seem younger than they were. Younger, yeah. Yeah. And this is 2000, so this is not like he's going to Google Seth Shifty Shellshock Binzer and find right, his birthday. Right, 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 He didn't have a Wikipedia page at that point. Not at all. Not, not, not <laughs> at all. Not at all. So this is, this is just an interesting thing to note out. Rolling Stone in about 2000, uh, 2001 thought uh, Seth Binzer was 18 in 98 when he was actually 24. Regardless, though... He was quite young and he had literally led the cops on a high speed chase on a fucking highway. Butterfly wouldn't be released for another two years at this point. And this was far from the beginning, but also far from the end of Seth Shifty Shell Shock Binzer's problems, as stated earlier. But really, really? This story could begin in many different places. Crazy Town's story really starts a long time ago. It starts in earnest with Seth Binzer as we've alluded to, or directly said, rather, a charismatic, good-hearted, but ultimately very troubled and quite dangerous young man. But nonetheless, a dude with some some definition of talent. A modicum of it, yep. You know, something we'll talk about at some point, yep. (laughs) His life has always been bizarrely charmed as he's able, he's one of those, and I'm sure you have people like this in your life, folks at home. He's always been able to, to get on by while not remotely playing by any rule or adhering to expectations and, and the games that we're supposed to play in society and all this. He was 
a criminal. He had hard drugs. He didn't care about employment or even valuing the success that came so easily to him. And, and it, it did. He's a good looking guy. He was a, a skater. He was a good skater who got noticed. He ended up in Levi's ads and even a Lenny Kravitz music video. Yep. That's right. Seth Binzer and his actual IRL butterfly sugar baby Cynthia were both in the video for Fly Away, making out passionately and looking super hot. Binzer also had a small role in the Martin short film Clifford. Victor, he plays the role of Victor. Like Clifford the dog? Yeah, this has nothing to do with the big red dog, just so we're clear. Oh, I yeah, thought yeah. so, too, because I don't know what this movie I'm 34, but I don't know what this fucking movie is. I do and know the big red dog, though. I would love to see Martin Short in a movie <laughs> about the big red dog. That's the... <laughs> I got excited for a second. Just being like the dad and being like, oh, you're so big, Clifford. That's the most epic. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most epic crossover that we need. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. But Binzer didn't care about modeling or acting. He'd show up stoned to auditions, and in his own words, which I love to quote, beat up kids in the waiting room, people were, again, in his own words, appalled. Pretty self, self-aware self guy. He's amazing. Yeah. I, this, I honestly, folks, when you're done with this, if you think that Seth Shifty Shellshock Binzer sounds like somebody you want to know a little more about, I suggest you go, you YouTube this Scott Bowling Seth Binzer interview. Again, it's called something Seth Shifty. It's just Shifty Shifty Seth Good Company. It's called Good Company. Scott Bowling Seth Binzer. You'll find it. It's interesting. He comes off super self aware. He's a tragic figure. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about this later. Anyway. He didn't care about modeling, he didn't care about acting. What Binzer did care about was music. He always had a strong connection to music. His father directed the rock documentary concert film, ladies and gentlemen, The Rolling Stones. His dad also worked for Chess Records and was in the business of making album covers. He actually made album covers for Crazy Town. There are three, 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 you know, three main records. Uh, I am speaking about filmmaker and artist Roland Binzer. He looks like such a nice Rollin? man. He does look like a nice man. <laughs> Probably Roland. <laughs> I don't know. Roland. Roland? Roland Binzer. I'm not sure. But a <laughs> poor guy for having such an ass of a son. <laughs> he looks he looks like a nice old man. Anyway. Anyway. Back to Seth. Let's do it. As a young skater in Boston, Binzer discovered minor threat and the Circle Jerks. And also as a breakdancer in Boston, he discovered Herbie Hancock and Brooklyn's own The Fat Boys. Him being from Boston explains <laughs> a lot of his character. Yeah, the Boston-LA combo. Yeah. You see, he drips it that, drips right? drips of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Mm-hmm. There's a very, he has a very unique bi-coast... <laughs> Right. You know, he's very unintentionally by uh, fuck boy energy, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Just to repeat for context that we're two people from Manhattan. So just to make our, our points, you know, know, give the context there. But discovering the Beastie Boys around age 11 on his way to L.A. during a brief stint in Mexico <laughs> truly changed his perception of what music could be. Licensed to Ill is the album that changed the way Seth Binzer heard and conceived music. From that point on, Binzer began writing his own bo- verses to Beastie Boys tracks. Right. 
this would really be an influence he could never, ever shake. But we will talk about that more when we analyze the band. The band. While he was in L.A., Binzer was also childhood friends with a kid who was the best freestyle rapper in town. A guy who goes by the name of Will I Am. He had a small indie hip-hop pop band called Black Eyed Peas. Did some business early 2000s, very, in the, in the 2000s, very early 2010s. May have heard of them. I don't know. That relationship between Will I Am and Binzer would eventually play a large part in connecting Seth Binzer with his longtime collaborator, Brett Mazur, aka Epic, not to be confused with later guitarist Rust Epic. Binzer and Mazur developed a tight bond, one fused by music and sweet, sweet fucking drugs, baby. Hell yeah. Binzer tells Gavin Edwards of Rolling Stones, quote, for nine years, we made music on uh, on drugs in a, in a loft in downtown LA. We'd, we'd do one song, celebrate for six months. We didn't even think about a record deal until we started running out of money and going to rehab. And I got arrested. Hell yeah. <laughs> this guy's amazing. So let me pull back and put this in perspective. Super, super late 80s, early 90s, more like early 90s, Seth Binzer is bringing his friend who would eventually become Will I Am to local LA freestyle competitions. It's at a recurring competition called Ballistics, where Will was on a winning streak and eventually scouted by EZE. Who at this point, well after his death, is, is cr- credited for discovering and scouting so much crazy talent. Low-key A&R guy, right? Yeah, low-key. <laughs> so this brings us to around 1992 when Binzer was hanging on and kind of working with a very early Black Eyed Peas. Seth Binzer would have been around 18 at this point, at this point, Rolling Stone. This is when he meets Brett Mazur, a.k.a. Epic. Mazur was a young producer at the time. He was known for his work with Bell Biv DeVoe, MC Light, and MC Search. Mazur, like Binzer, had an early introduction to music. Brett Epic Mazur's dad, Erwin Mazur, managed Billy Joel's career in the early 70s. And like Binzer, Mazur ran in a circle of future superstars. As David Keeps reports for Rolling Stone, Mazur, quote, attended LA's Taft High with Ice Cube, Brad Wilk of Rage Against the Machine, and Everlast, and Danny Boy from House of Pain. A lot of, <laughs> a lot lot of, of people, peers. Right? <laughs> a lot of people went to school at that time. Yeah. <laughs> Mazur was made. He was busy and successful, but he grew tired of what he was doing. He gave up producing and remixing for high-profile artists to join a Jewish hardcore hip-hop group named Blood of Abraham. They did some work with Black Eyed Peas very early on, and that led to Mazur being connected with Benzer via Will I Am. And eventually led to Will I Am to scream Mazel Tov <laughs> during a Black Eyed Peas song. Wait, is this true? Yeah, yeah. There's that one big. Anyway, it's it's. Wow. We got. I got to play it for you. But Later. it secured the song to be played at least once at every single Jewish Amazing. wedding, bar or bat mitzvah, any event. He's a business all man. over the world for the rest of fucking time. No, he really is. That is amazing. Well, it's perfect. Back to Binzer and Mazer. Once they connected, for the next six to seven years, Binzer and Mazer would just make music, do drugs, and barely get by. They would go to form a group called uh, the Brimstone Sluggers with another fellow who would go on to have his own career in music. I'm talking about Adam Braven, a.k.a. DJ Adam 12 of She Wants Revenge, who may be 
a band we cover one day. Uh, I thought you were going to say Maroon 5. <laughs> Adam That's Raven it. from Maroon 5. Isn't that his name? No, isn't it? That idiot's name is, uh, who's the Adam Maroon 5 guy's name? Adam Levine. Adam Levine. That could also be a band we cover one day. Dude, what great song do they have? I, we, I guess none. We got to figure that out. If they have a good that. song. They are the chuggiest, most live, laugh, love, fucking eat, <laughs> pray, love bullshit going. That band and Imagine Dragons are bands for people who don't understand sarcasm and like don't, don't, they do not deal well with sarcasm. Those are the kind of people who love those bands. Adam Levine probably has a, a, a script above his bed that says just sing <laughs> Yo, <laughs> like I a know. sign that should that be his next sing. tattoo that should be his next tremendous <laughs> tattoo but anyway <laughs> moving on the thing said most on this show <laughs> oh ah right right one more thing one more thing around this time Vincer had a buddy a buddy named bernard williams 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 went by the name Chaos. So many silly <laughs> nicknames. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, they, it's wonderful. It really is. He and Binzer were apparently a package deal because Binzer was a fucking idiot. So he too, by he too, I mean Chaos, was somehow part of Binzer and Mazer's early crew. And they would eventually become a band called Hellbend. But I gotta go, I gotta say, dude, between Brimstone Sluggers and one word, Hellbent. Their early bands had like, perhaps for the wrong reason, but like cool as fuck names compared to Crazy Town. Compared to Crazy Town, for sure. Yeah. I just, well, have you ever seen the subreddit, The Pack? No. Oh, it's like all super aggressive. You got to check it out. But like Brimstone Sluggers, for anybody who knows The Pack and what that, all the connotations are, Brimstone Sluggers and Hellbent really have that energy. It's amazing. Check out the pack on Reddit, everybody. <laughs> Bernard Williams, <coughs> chaos, I mean, loved drugs. He loved starting a riot. He also had a gun. So... Sometime in 1998, <laughs> shattered windows, weed that wasn't there, someone knocked out cold, and chaos's loaded gun, cops in pursuit, a couple buddies on the run. Well, you said that already. A few times, a few times, yeah. yeah okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that led to a police chase. That got Seth Shifty Shell Shock Binzer on Fox 11 News on America's Most Wanted. This is what got Binzer arrested. 24 years old, and staring down the barrel of a potential five-year sentence. He pled guilty to assault with a firearm. He wasn't the one holding the gun. He got 90 days in Chino State Penitentiary. He was released and put on three years probation with mandatory drug tests. Bernard, who was with him and was the one holding the gun, was sentenced to a year. As detailed in a Rolling Stone article from August 2nd, 2001, titled... <laughs> You with a, just the letter U, you are now entering Crazy Town by David Keeps. Binzer failed every single drug test, but due to his honesty about taking drugs, he was given a bit of a pass. He wasn't sent back to jail. He was sentenced to rehab. 
This is one of many pivotal moments in Seth Binzer's life. It is during this time that Binzer and Mazur would focus harder than ever on writing songs together. Nothing like being stuck in rehab to foster some great songwriting. Or losing a child like Eric Clapton knows. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Hi, Eric. I'd like to take a brief moment to shout out the Scott Bowling sit-down interview with Seth Binzer. Anytime I quote something uh, and reference a key story beat without a hard source given in this, you can assume that I'm pulling it from that sit-down interview between Seth Binzer and YouTuber Scott Bowling. And again, as I said earlier, I actually suggest you watch it at home, folks. He's very candid and very, very interesting in it. I don't know if you need to watch it. <laughs> this pod is probably enough crazy town for your life. Well, there's some amazing moments in it. It's a, again, it's for a very candid sure. interview. There's a there's a lot of interesting. Not interesting. A lot of interesting things to take in and think about. Like, one of my favorite moments is Seth will go back and forth talking about Mazer. So he calls him epic, recounting stories of when they had just met and how Binzer had idolized him. But he starts to seamlessly shift into calling him Brett once he discusses creating music, <laughs> doing drugs, and being friends. And again, he has a lot of very interesting commentary on himself in this Seth Binzer. I, I suggest you all check it out. We have enough in interesting commentary. <laughs> yeah, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, anyway, through creating music, doing drugs, and being friends, Binzer and Mazer met a fellow, a fellow named Danny Ostro. Ostro came from Trauma Records, an L.A. indie label that had a joint venture with Interscope Records, which... You, you folks know I could go down this rabbit hole. I could artificially extend this episode by a full 20 minutes just by explaining Interscope and going over it. If I, if it were an indie or a major. Oh but it's, shit, it's, here we go again. So I thought I'm not going to do that. But it was a major, but not in the modern, not in the modern sense. It was independently owned and had joint ventures with Atlantic, another not major at the time. I'm not, I'm You're all right. I'm not, I'm not, I can't do this. You said he wouldn't scream either. I, I did say that. God damn! <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not going to be any horse talk, no Christian band talk. Those two, those two things are staying true. And I just want to tell you folks the story of a band. That's all I want to do is just tell you folks the story of a band. Yeah, let's stick to the illustrious <laughs> life and career of Crazy Town. Anyway. It was an independently owned major company, but it was Stop. not owned by Warner, Warner, Sony, or no, Universal oh, until it became owned by Universal in 1999. We get it. Stop. Just okay. stop. We got okay. it. Okay. Anyway, fuck. Danny Ostro. So I'm sorry about that. That's all right. Let's just okay. keep going. Go okay. On. Danny Ostro had gained clout for working with No Doubt while they were on Trauma Records. Ostro would... <laughs> <laughs> would help guide the band for a time, shopping their music around, talking about Crazy Town. But nothing was hitting. Mazer tells Keeps for Rolling Stone, quote, Danny was, Danny was tweaked out on speed, calling all the record labels going, I've got this band! Imagine being, getting that phone call and being like a record exec guy and some cracked out dude is like, yo, 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 I got this. That's the you, guy. And then you get, Crazy Town tracks. That's, <laughs> That's what gets said to you. You're That's like, oh, the guy okay. to pitch you on Crazy Town. I guess so. No one else could. So, amazingly, Ostro would clarify, quote, I'm clean now, but I'm not going to deny I was on drugs. I don't like the way that was phrased, but okay, fine. I've been a promotion man for 10 years, and my follow-through and my hustle is very methodical. 
Epic lived in my kids' room, and I sunk, <laughs> I sunk every penny I had into helping them for a year of my life. Oh, that's true love. <laughs> I don't like the way that was phrased, but okay, fine. <laughs> this guy's a fucking legend. Danny Ostro, he, f Danny Ostro fucks. By late 1998, Danny Ostro, who fucks, was helping Bunzer and Mazer put a band together. The original core lineup of Crazy Town featured Charles Rust Epic Lopez on guitar, James Bradley Jr., a.k.a. JBJ on drums, Doug Fado DeLay Miller on bass, Antonio Lorenzo Trouble Valley on guitar. That's my favorite name so far, Trouble Valley. And eventually, Craig Squirrel Tyler also on guitar. I see. I read uh, Rust Epic as Rust, Rust Epic, 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 Rust Epic, Rust. I'm, 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 I'm. We're not going to make your name a bit. I'm not going to do that to the deceased. I'm just. I gave, gave away a story beat. But Rust, I'm sorry. Anyway, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I didn't look it up. I apologize. His nickname. You know how to say Lopez. There you go. I do know how to say Lopez. I'm fortunately able to say that. Oh yeah, wait, wait. There was one other, one other guy, one other guy. Seth, Seth's other childhood friend, who used to live with Seth and his mom, a guy named Adam Goldstein. You may know him as a fellow named DJ AM. Yep, DJ AM's first high-profile gig was as the DJ in Crazy Town. How about that? You mean like the DJ AM, like the one from Entourage? <laughs> Yeah, sneakerhead, size 11. Not good. Right. Not good. Not good. You know what's crazy about that is he's. JAM is better in that scene than Adrian Grenier is. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's crazy. It's the funniest thing about that. But anyway, I did rewatch that before this. Yes, obviously. Anyway, one day, Binzer headed home from a disgruntled conversation with Mazer, and he played his, at the time, girlfriend, Cynthia. Ooh, his butterfly sugar baby. He played her the song Revolving Door. Revolving Door is a song about Binzer being a man-ho. It's some shitty, dumb bro, humble brag. It's a humble brag in his... Well, it's a, it's a true statement of humility in his mind is what it is, in which he's basically saying that no girl stays with me. They just come and go and come back again for more... <laughs> But, you know, I wish I could just find a girl who'd help me settle down. He, this, that's the, that is the song. And he is now presenting this to his girlfriend to see how the one with whom he has presumably settled down. And he's now going to try to see how she feels about this. So, folks at home, if you'll indulge, indulge me. I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from this because I want you to understand the song that Seth, the poet, the, that the poet Seth Shifty Shellshock Binzer presented to his girlfriend, Cynthia. An excerpt from Revolving Door. They call me Shifty Capone. I make them moan. Yes, I'm the one between the sheets. I amaze and stun. Ain't no need for me to brag about the way that I'm hung. <laughs> Let's just say, I got the skills to get the flyest girl sprung. Or, or, they'd take and make an older lady feel young. Now ladies come, ladies go out my revolving door. Some ladies never come back. <laughs> Most come back for more. 
These lyrics continue. <laughs> this is what he says to his girlfriend. This is the song he's presenting his girlfriend. Right. Girl, you're not the one. You're just a one-night fling. Some ass to hold Casanova over till the right girl pass. I'll drop this lifestyle fast. Because what I'm really looking for is the one that will last and make my present past, my adolescence surpassed by the will to chill. I'm looking for some real in a world of fake hoes and high heels. I'll drop that wax on your nipples causing trouble. When you ride me, you'll be throwing up that triple-double. My sex drive's kicking. I'm sexually exploring so many possibilities. It seems my life can never get boring. Shocker. <laughs> His fucking girlfriend wasn't so keen on that song. <laughs> Who would have thought that, right? Surprise. So, so she asks him. Plainly, she's just, fucking Cynthia is just like, Seth, why can't you just write a nice song about a girl for once? I mean, how is that not the biggest red flag? Like, get the fuck out of there, girl. Well, because (laughs) not, you know why it's not the biggest red flag? Because in his own words, he's got the skills that get the flyest girl sprung. Right. Uh, And as as he told us, he doesn't need to brag about the way that he's hung. Maybe that's... That's it. That's all it that's is. All that's it all is. you need. Yeah. She might be into hot wax on her nipples. She too. might be. It's a lot to unpack there. So, anyway, after a good think on Cynthia's mom's couch, Binzer went to Mazer, again, quote, in his own words, on some earthy stoner shit, and said, quote, I got the song about Cynthia. It needs to be like Under the Bridge by the Chili Peppers. So... Mazer got stoned and listened to some Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> and he came upon the song Pretty Little Diddy off of 1989's Mother's Milk album. In that song, there this is actually pretty interesting. In that song, there was one small figure of music, a melodic guitar pattern. Like I suppose. It's about 50 seconds in. You'll know when you find it, folks. And that is the hook for and the crux of Butterfly. So, the hook was in place, the lyrics were penned, the song was created. Binzer and Mazer eventually signed to Q Prime, which they actually managed the Chili Peppers, and they got the song to the band to gain clearance. Crazy Town's Butterfly, kind of crazy, was the first sample the Red Hot Chili Peppers ever cleared. Again, Seth discusses this in the Seth Bow- the bowling, uh, uh, the Scott Bowling interview. And they, the, this is kind of cool about the Chili Peppers. They chose to take only a third of the royalties and even brought Crazy Town on an Australian tour with them. Wow, what a bill. What a, what a <laughs> yeah. bill. So just to be clear, folks at home, I hope you're Chili Peppers fans listening to this. Crazy Town is a legit cosign from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. 
I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of either band, so I don't care. I'm not questioning the value of Chili Peppers music. I'm not personally a fan, so, so I don't care. I don't have fucking any skin in this game right here. But I imagine there's quite a few music snobs out there who are also Red Hot Chili Peppers fans, and um, they might feel a type of way about that cosine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am personally too into RHCP myself. Yeah. Uh, but it seems to make sense that they'd feel Crazy Town was an appropriate band to co-sign. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's like right in the same vein, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Definitely, if only hearing that song and like, yeah. I, I could, yeah, I get, I understand. But I, I understand, believe me, I understand. Anyway, by now, Crazy Town were signed to Columbia Records and had a song that was a certified hit with Butterfly. They released their debut album, The Gift of Game, on November 9th, 1999, via Columbia Records. But for some reason, Butterfly wouldn't be the band's first single. The certified hit would not be the band's first single. And in the long run, maybe that's a good thing. I only mean that just because maybe it somehow artificially extended the life of the album, but I guess not any in any meaningful way since the first singles didn't hit. The world wasn't ready for the it. World yeah. wasn't ready the world for just it. Exactly. wasn't ready for it. That's what it is. It just wasn't ready. Well, let's talk about where the world was in 1999. Pre-Y2K. <laughs> 1999. America. New metal was a known genre. Not only was it a known genre, it was on top. And it was almost the only representation that rock music had in the American mainstream by the late 90s. This is, of course, excluding Grammy Award-winning 1999 hit Smooth by Santana featuring Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. Santana and, and Rob Thomas just released a follow-up to that song I... together the other day <laughs> called Move. And it's terrible. It is not the instant classic that Smooth was. Yeah, Move is not the song we're going to be doing a show about. Move is not winning any Grammys this year. So amazing. 2021's a magical fucking year. In ways. Uh, Another word I would not have used to describe something, but I guess that's why we do this. Point, counterpoint. Yeah, exactly. But new metal was firmly on top. Ozfest was a cultural phenomenon. So Crazy Town would put out two singles before Butterfly, more new metal-y kind of singles. Their first single was 1999's Toxic, the second track, but first full song on The Gift of Game. It did not chart. That was then followed by 2000's Dark Side. That single also failed to chart. OzFest 2000. Those of you from back then will remember OzFest, and I imagine that's 100% of our audience. I'm not actually going to explain OzFest. I mean, dude, they were doing OzFest up until like 2017, so I doubt any of our listeners are like four years old right now. I like I like to think about a four-year-old going to OzFest in 2017 or whatever, but anyway. No, they'd have to have been born. Well, right. An infant going to OzFest in 2017. And now they're four years old listening to this fucking podcast. Podcast. I don't think that's happening, yeah. Kids, buddy. Put your goddamn parents to bed right now. Yeah. Ozfest 2000. Wait. This was crazy. <laughs> Big break. <laughs> Just one problem. Seth, shifty, shell shock, Binzer is an addict. While grinding on the road in 1999, Binzer was trying to be sober while his bandmates were trying to be anything but. This is when crack 
would become a real issue. Pinzer remembers this period and recounts it to David Keeps for Rolling Stone, quote, I was going to show them that this is what happens when I get high. Everything falls apart and the band ends. I remember saying, you guys don't get sober with me. I'm going to start a sober band. And I was saying this while smoking crack. I was a big fireball chaos. It takes those moments high as fuck sometimes to have those realizations. He is amazing. <laughs> he is. I love the idea of him hitting rock, raw as fuck, being like, I'm going to start a sober band, motherfuckers. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Can't be around you guys doing drugs. Yeah. Seth. Oh, man, dude. All right. Ozfest 2000. About one to two weeks in. Charlotte, North Carolina. David Keeps Rolling Stone reports that Seth partied too much and missed a set, so the band was sent home. But Binzer himself tells a very different story. In Binzer's March 15th, 2001 Rolling Stone interview, he states, I was drunk, going through my breakup, and I threw a chair out a window. They arrested me, and my management said, you need to come home and chill out. So we lasted only two weeks. A little different than sleeping in. But whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Different. different. Yeah. So indeed, the band went to their various homes. Binzer concluded a multi day rampage of drugs and excess. Uh, during this time, Binzer's mom had called Anthony Kiedis, actually, of the Chili Peppers, and begged him to connect to connect with Seth and, and check on him. So Kiedis did just that. Wow, that's some serious foreshadowing right there. Yeah, right. Well, after this, Seth started to settle a bit and then. Everyone seemed to sort of regroup. By this point, Binzer and Cynthia had broken up, but Seth had began to make amends with her and even asked her to appear in the music video for Butterfly as the Butterfly Sugar Baby. So, as her idealized song self, because again, songs written about her. October 24th, 2000, Crazy Town and Columbia Records released The Gifted Game's third single, the band's most iconic single, Butterfly. Well, let me, let me put it like this. Before Butterfly, not one single charted. <laughs> the album did not chart. But once Butterfly was released, just days from a full year after The Gift of Game dropped, it propelled The Gift of Game. Sometimes all you need is one sugar baby <laughs> butterfly. That's all you really need sometimes, man. A January 10th, 2002, Billboard article states, Crazy Town's debut, The Gift of Game, debuted at number 198 on the Billboard 200. Cracking that 200 <laughs> chart in December 2000. And by the way, it peaked at number nine on the chart by the following March. So let's, let's, let's get this in. Let's get, this, let's get the perspective on this. Okay. November 9th, 1999, right. the album drops and has zero impact. Two singles were later, later released, zero impact. October 24th, 2000, Butterfly is released. December 9th, 2000, The Gift of Game cracks the Billboard 200 for the first time ever, debuting at 198. Mere months later, March 3rd, 2001, The Gift of Game peaked at number nine on the Billboard 200. This is all thanks 100% to Butterfly. Totally. As, as the follow-up track, good old Revolving Door, <laughs> did not chart in America. We will, of course, be going over Butterfly's own chart success later. Chart. <sighs> but suffice to say, 
it was a number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100. Additionally, Butterfly was so undeniable that it brought them <laughs> brought them back to Ozfest for Ozfest 2001. They were, you know, they 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 they, they were met with with meh reviews. You know, yeah. yeah. As 2001 gave way to 2002, Crazy Town knew they needed to get back to the studio and make their sophomore release for Columbia Records. This would be a bad period for the band. There was infighting about what a post-Butterfly Crazy Town should sound like, and record executives, of course, just wanted another Butterfly. And so did the world. Like, I would have honestly been so pumped if they were able to keep that up. I think that song was on to something. It was. They it almost really created was. like a sound with that, you know? Almost, yeah. yeah. There was a level there. Binzer tells Scott Poling that half the band wanted to make a heavier record, which they essentially did. But Binzer was wary of this since none of their heavy songs hit. It was actually kind of right. It was Butterfly that got them paid so well over the last year and change. Dark Horse, the follow-up to The Gift of Game, is... It is heavier and darker than The Gift of Game, and it doesn't have anything that hits remotely like Butterfly. But despite this, Binzer says that Dark Horse is the true sound of Crazy Town. How about that? That's something to think about, folks. We all listen to Dark Horse and consider that being the true sound of Crazy Town. But before, before Dark Horse would be released... DJ AM would leave the band. Drummer James JBJ Bradley Jr. was also replaced. Crazy Town's new drummer was ex-shovel drummer Kyle Hollinger. Another new addition to Dark Horse's sound was the shredding of Rivers Cuomo. That's right. Rivers fucking Cuomo shredded some guitar on a song that kind of instantly hits like a wizard. Like, I knew... I knew... But then it instantly doesn't sound remotely like Weezer. This song is called Hurt You So Bad. Yeah, it's so hilarious. I had a very similar experience of like, oh shit. The first chord, you know? I was like, maybe they have more than one great song. You know, I was like, oh, this is is hitting me in a spot. And then it was like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Hurt You So Bad, though, does sound like some make-believe era Weezer. Like, it sounds like very, you know, like... Totally. It really hits those Rivers Cuomo heartstrings. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, that brings us to this. Dark Horse was released November 12th, 2002. Lead single Drowning was released November 16th, 2002. Now, for those listening who are much younger than 34, you may not not realize how much of a blunder... This is. I'm going to repeat that. The album came out November November 12th. The single came out November 16th. Okay. You see, singles used to be released months in advance of an album. The, the, the selling cycle for an album was long. You used to hear singles for months on radio, MTV, VH1, Much Music Fuse, and, and perhaps even TV commercials. You'd see live performances on late night and other high-profile spots, all to get you to fall in love with the songs that you didn't have any way of enjoying. <laughs> and then eventually on a, a magical Tuesday or Monday at night at midnight, if you're one of those people, like you well, if you were really waiting for it, you yeah. know, after months of hearing your favorite band singles, the, the album would drop. And then you ideally to the companies along with millions, others will have been convinced to spend about 12 to $15 on a brand new 13 to 14 track CD. And you could now play the songs you've been hearing for months 
whenever you want. Dark Horse's lead single was released four days after the album was released. <laughs> Dark, Horse, Dark Horse sold fewer than 13,000 copies in the first week. Yeah, that's not a good first week. It's, yeah. it's not horrible, but it's not, not butterfly. For a no, yeah. No, no, not for a band whose first album was 1.6 mil and, and had Butterfly on it. Somehow, though, Dark Horse eventually miraculously peaked at number 120 on the Billboard 200 chart. <laughs> the band parted ways from Columbia Records, feeling that they had not been supported. They then parted ways from each other. About one to two months after Dark Horse's release, Crazy Town had broken up. So, perhaps not surprisingly, second single, Hurt You So Bad, did not chart. Now, this is this. This is where things get particularly crazy. Some may say it even gets particularly crazy town. <laughs> we are in a very crazy part of town now, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mazer started a production company called The Pharmacy and focused on his studio work. During this post-crazy town period, guitarist Charles Rust Epic, I'm sorry, Epic Lopez started his own band called pre-thing, I think. It's lowercase P-R-E close parentheses, capital T-H-I-N-G the word thing. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, pre-thing, I guess. I don't know. Watch it be called a pretty thing for some stranger. Anyway, Lopez unfortunately died of a heart attack not long before the debut of his as debut album was released. Actually, it's very tragic. Also speaking about tragic things, oof. that was mean. Binzer released a solo album. Uh, <laughs> oh man, happy lovesick. Let's talk about a little bit how we got there. One day while soul searching in Malibu, Binzer met a kid asking for change outside of a Starbucks. The kid had been kicked out of the army. As Binzer says, he had mental problems and he was down on his luck. He recognized Binzer and he asked him to listen to a CD of his. Binzer was blown away by his voice and the sublime-like sound. And by, by sublime, I mean, I mean the band. I'm not using the actual word right now, to be clear. That's so funny. The good old yeah. sublime sound everyone's chasing. Coveted tones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. From about 2001 to 2004, Binzer worked on what would become his debut solo album. During this time in 2002, he also had a crazy opportunity to be part of a truly star-studded Paul Oakenfold album. This would yield Binzer's only other huge hit. This was a huge hit. This would be the song that would be his new Butterfly in but, ways ironically. But without Crazy Town. But without Crazy Town, exactly. And perhaps inarguably a better, like a better song than Butterfly. Sure. You know what I mean? Paul yeah. Oakenfold. Yeah, I'm not even an Oakenfold fan. I'm saying No, it's a it's a better yeah. song. Well, we're talking about the song Starry Eyed Surprise. Cause tonight's 
tonight It goes sweatbox, laser beam, flashing lights Wild cards, men from Mars, dressed in stars and stripes Electric, electric, ladies of the evening Drinking booze and mingling Mashing to the music, I could do anything Freaky deaky stars, beckles and pink butterflies Life is nice, so nice I walk into a club and I found paradise I'm seeing stars, I can't believe my eyes The song was a moderately massive hit in America. You know, peaked on number 13 in our top 40. Chart. It was like Target commercials and shit like that. But wow, it was a, a true hit in the UK. The song also became a favorite of, of as I alluded to just now, ad- television advertisers all over. Yeah, definitely a favorite of mine as well. <laughs> oh, man. But hey, don't worry, folks. This is by no means a happy ending. Man, Binzer's 2004 solo album was a flop, perhaps due to it not being very good at all, but definitely, definitely due to this. Madonna sold Maverick, the entertainment company that Binzer was signed to. Maverick was not only releasing Happy Lovesick, they were also the machine behind promoting it. But all of a sudden, the machine was gone. Binzer was back to having an album sucked into the vortex of record industry hell. And yep, if you didn't know, Madonna had an entertainment company that she ran as a subsidiary under Time Warner, Maverick. Maverick had departments for recording, uh, music publishing, television, film, merchandising, and I love this, book publishing. But as Binzer tells it, the week his album was due out, Maverick closed up shop. That's got to be rough. I bet he has it out for Madonna now. (laughs) Probably like, fuck Madonna. Would love to hear about that beef. I didn't get that far. Oh, if somebody knows out there, let us know. At Bad Band, great song on Instagram, Facebook. At PB Just Show on Twitter. Uh, Bad Band, Bad Band, great song at gmail.com. Let us know if you yeah, know anything yeah. about the way Shifty feels about Madonna. Madonna. And follow, follow those accounts. Share it with your friends. We got, we got to do this thing. Oh, yeah. We got to do this thing. We got to tell people to come and tell their friends. I like that we're doing enjoy. this like an, an, like almost an hour and a half into the show. <laughs> well, into recording. Into like recording. It. Who knows where you are in the show, right? But yeah, folks, subscribe if you haven't. If you're on Apple, leave us a review. Yeah. This is good. This is like an organic mid-roll ad. Well, that's what I, that's what I was thinking. It was my my script it looks like it's in the middle. So here we you know. <laughs> I was like, let's see. So we got to we got to rock it because we haven't before. And more, here's some real BBGS behind the scenes. Apple Podcasts, there's no way to link nothing. No, there isn't. We can't link out of there. And that's kind of what we realized of why so many podcasters, because we were like, we don't need to fucking say that every episode. But we kind of do, because we can't link out. Go, like, follow, all that shit. So to to help prevent us from talking about this every episode, folks, (laughs) if you're listening on Apple, do it. Rate and review us. Do Subscribe it. on whatever you're listening from. Do it. That's all it is. Let's go back to the show. That was really good. I like that good, good organic mid-roll ad. All right, all right. Yeah, all right. no screaming. Come on, come on. All right, fuck, goddammit. No screaming, that show. So, Maverick closed up shop. Shifty's album was 
lost in record development hell. There is no way. Let's let's be let's be real. There's no way that shuttering the doors of Maverick helped Binzer's solo record, but also let's not get it twisted. Be real. It's not good music. I apologize in advance for what I'm about to say because I think Binzer has done a lot to get away from his troubles, but his uh, his solo album is kind of that sound of that kid you knew who set things on fire in 7-Eleven parking lots, just poorly rapping to what he believes is sublime-inspired music. Make of that what you will. I don't know. Flash forward to 2007, 2008, and things weren't so good for Seth Shifty Shellshock Binzer. As many of you will remember, he was on seasons one and two, consecutive baby seasons one and two of 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 dr daddy drew's celebrity rehab binzer was binzer was also on seasons one and two of the sister show sober house these were tv shows but let's also be real binzer spiraling was anything but entertainment this is where that foreshadowing comes in. I was talking about it makes sense. He would be so drawn to celebrity type rehab since he himself was brought out of that hole by fucking Anthony Kiedis. I, right. Yeah, exactly. He must have like really seen the potential and like, all oh, right, this is an inspirational purpose person to me. It gives me the purpose of being that inspirational person potentially for someone else. Right. Interesting. 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 Yeah. I'm listening. I'm, Drew has come under fire. Drew has come under fire for this show, but I'm sure everybody involved yeah. in the show had good intentions. It's definitely a questionable thing, though. Big picture. Well, he's a questionable T- guy. That Doctor Drew, Daddy Drew. But yeah, pup, da, ta, Andrew, Andrew. By the way, isn't it? But televising rehab. That's us. But anyway, during this time, absurdly. <laughs> Crazy Town would make efforts to reunite in 2007, while Binzer would presumably be in and out of celebrity rehab. Crazy Town announced a 2008 album that shockingly, right, never happened. August 26th, 2009, Crazy Town reunited on stage for the first time in five years at Ledoux in Hollywood, California. But just two days later, um, however, (laughs) original band member and bonafide fucking celebrity DJ AM died due to a drug overdose. Jesus Christ, that's such unfortunate. It really timing. is, yeah. Might have been actually cool to see like full on crazy town back, DJ AM. It's 2009, baby. Hell you know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that would not have been so cool. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> well, Maybe, yeah. Binzer and Mazer as Crazy Town would play a show. They'd. Literally, just they would play a show. They'd release a few songs, and eventually, uh, in 2015, they would release a new Crazy Town album. Took them six years. (laughs) Hey, man. Good things are worth waiting for. And as an homage to their original band with Adam 12 of She Wants Revenge, on August 28th, 2015, Crazy Town released their third album, The Brimstone Sluggers. Sluggers was released via Membran Records, a European independent music company that offers artists a variety of services. <laughs> it's in it's in Binzer's own words, quote, I think the wackest label I was ever signed to. Yeah, I'm going to completely agree with him on that one. 
Like they're no. they're barely much of a label and more they, more artist services. Yeah, they're like even label services. Like it mm-hmm. seems like it seems like they get hired out by labels mm-hmm. even, mm-hmm. and it's not even direct to artists. It's a weird company. It's a weird company. Mm-hmm. I mean, Europia is a strange place. <laughs> <laughs> well, no European. Europea. Anyway, this. Uh, Shifty saying this was the wackest label he was ever signed to roughly translates to this. They didn't promote the record. Binzer laments that the record was marketed to fans and only fans and no efforts were made to reach a wider audience. Social media was engaged and that's about it. Binzer was quick to point out that folks who were fans of Dark Horse, they were also not so into Brimstone Sluggers, which makes sense to me. Dark Horse was Crazy Town pursuing a more straightforward rap rock flavor of very processed new metal. Sluggers is the band trying to make more of a uh, rap record with more of a pop flair. It's not new metal. It's aggressive, b- weird white boy, lame rap. But it's not definitely not new metal. And they try to throw a pop flair in there. The music is, the music is beats, and there's nearly no guitars uh, on the album. It's fine, <laughs> you know? but and there's a few hooks, and all those hooks pretty much are sung by women. I think to increase the approachable pop appeal of the album. I think that's a clear play there to do that. Uh, the way Binzer says it, <laughs> I love this. Dark Horse was a big, expensive live record, which I guess it means it had strings and drums on it. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, yeah, it's, a exactly. big exp- it's a big, expensive live record. <laughs> or like any big record with a fucking band. And well, the deal with Sluggers is Binzer had to, um, in his own words, quote, Binzer had, uh, quote, died a couple of times. And there was a window of opportunity and Brett was like, yo, I found all these old demos. Let's put them out. And then we went in and we ended up recording like six new songs. I love this record. It's not heavy, but it's a dope record. At least he backs what he released. You gotta believe in yourself. Exactly. Brimstone Sluggers was essentially back to basics, sort of. Seth and Brett in a room with some gear. Binzer was most excited to get back out on the road and play these songs with a band. He gleefully expresses how these tracks were instantly heavier once a live band got involved for the road. Binzer says Brimstone Sluggers saved his life. It reminded him why he loved music and rekindled his love for touring on the road. But it was far from glamorous this time around. Crazy Town's tour for Brimstone Sluggers saw them play two venues. As we discussed earlier, it saw them play to venues of 50 people, sometimes 30, some odd people in attendance. Yeah, it's pretty brutal at that point in your career. Bummer to play. At that point in your career, yeah, exactly. So touring like this a couple of times over led to the band being in debt. This undeniably grim state of affairs led to Brett Epic Mazer leaving the touring life behind and ultimately leaving Crazy Town behind. Yeah, as Shifty says himself, the rest of the band grew up and he didn't. Exactly. Another amazing moment from that interview. But anyway, in another shockingly sincere moment from this interview that we keep referencing, Binzer says, quote, Brett was like, Yo, homie, like, I love this, but I'm making more money doing what I'm doing, scoring films. And he's like, you know, I don't know if I can do this. And I was like, 
well, this is like saving my life. So I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to fucking, I'm going to do this until I fucking die instead of do drugs till I die. Got to admire both of them for knowing what they need in you life. Gotta, <laughs> you got to treat yourself right. You yeah, got to know your priorities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So Binzer began putting together a new band. The new group consists of members of another band called What A Funk that opened for Crazy Town in Italy. The boys from What A Funk developed a relationship with Binzer that lasted. Binzer says, I got three players from Italy and then I found another player out in LA and I put this fucking new band organic, put together this fucking new band organically from touring. He really did. I got these three players for just the strange, just a strange. It was like, dude, this does he play a single? He must must not play a single instrument. Just referring to like musicians. I got these players. Right. Is this such like a again? He's a pure guy. Well, I think really that's what you call a, a, a musician from Italy. That's a, what player. a player. These players from Italy. Well, the new crazy town. They're touring. It still definitely isn't anything glamorous. They still tour in a small van, and they do what they have to to make ends meet. They take opening slots, they play shows you probably wouldn't be thinking someone on MTV would be playing, but they're playing. Recently, recently, while, as of note, recently on a tour in 2019, the band hit a moose. Uh, yeah, that's the most current meaningful uh, update regarding the band. In 2019, their van hit a moose while driving through Ontario, Canada. They were driving on Route 17 he headed to Sudbury. Shouts to the shouts to the good people of Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. Oh, and uh, yeah, for those wondering, the uh, band announced on their Facebook page, quote, the moose unfortunately was killed instantly and we all just feel horrible about that. That's uh, so terrible. We hit, a, we hit a bunny on tour one oh, time. Oh, no. It was... And I still lose sleep over it. I wasn't even driving. You know, that, that's the that's rest of your life bad luck is what that is. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace to all the animals that get killed on the road from touring musicians. Especially that bunny in this movie. Some good players. I'm glad we could immortalize them on an episode of Bad Band. Great song. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. I feel so much better about that. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> we're living, laughing, and loving together, Jerry. I'm glad I got to share that with all of you. <laughs> That was weighing heavy on me. <laughs> oh, folks, because I'm sure you're wondering this. By the way, the new incarnation of the band goes by the name Crazy Town X. That's right. You have to say, you have to say Crazy Town X. And regarding that name change, a fan once asked Binzer on an Instagram post what the X stood for. The response was, quote, the X is used by gangs. It symbolizes a territory that has just been won. That seems a little mm, mm, delusional. Uh, Binzer gives bowling a more measured answer. I'm just saying, this is crazy. What territories of Crazy Town won? That, that he may be right about the gang thing. I'm not denying that. But what territories of Crazy Town won? Okay, anyway. So, Binzer gives bowling a more sober response to the significance. He says, quote, We put an X on the end of the name... And we're Crazy Town X. And that's just because it's still Crazy Town. Because it's me. But Brett is doing his own thing. In that regard, though, he kind of did win Crazy Town. Like, Ooh. Crazy Town, like, is a place. Ooh. 
Wow. And he lasted the longest in the town, you know, inside yeah. of crazy town. Wow. Bands wow. are a fucking Hold on. Jerry, you just fucked me up with that. He won the territory of crazy town. The territory. Yeah. The crazy town is a territory. Oh my starry eyed <laughs> surprise. surprise. Fuck. Oh, wow. My. Sorry, Ed. Folks, so you bad. just, Jerry, this, I didn't read this. I didn't read your editions of the script ahead of town, ahead of time. You ahead actually. Of town. Wow, folks. Before you got we into all town. just went through something together. Let's, let's go through something else together, by the way. I want to, I want to, I want to bring something else that's interesting up. Something that's really thought provoking. So something interesting about this name change that I'd like to point out. Crazy Town used to be abbreviated as CXT. Now called Crazy Town X you would abbreviate the name as CTX. Threads. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? How about that? Anyway. Mildly. Bring this horse. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Binzer says something early on to Bowling in this uh, interview that foreshadows the explanation of the X in the name. When first asked about the new work he's doing with Crazy Town X, Binzer smiles. He thinks for a moment. He says with excruciating honesty, absolutely excruciating honesty, at least watch, folks. Go watch this interview, at least for this moment. Quote, It's kind of like, it's me keeping the band alive, basically. Everyone's kind of moved on and is doing other things. They grew up, I didn't, you know, (laughs) completely. And and, uh, Binzer inhales, sharply winds his eyes and smiles. Oh, should I spoiled that earlier? <laughs> <laughs> I pulled that also. I was just like, it's so real. He's so, he's so self-aware and willing to tell everybody. It's amazing. He is, but he also has, it's like he, he has an amazing moment of catching himself, but not regretting what he just said. And having, yeah, that's right. real. It's really a phenomenal he's moment. A real guy. It's a very interesting character study watching that. But hey, folks. That was their story. I hope that was a crazy ride for you all. Let's get into the critical reaction, commercial impact, chart success, and fan response. Okay. Critical reaction. So, mm, mm, the most legitimate review of this record I could honestly find is allmusic.com's review, which is oh, never a good, good thing in my mind, but uh, thank God for allmusic.com. Actually, no, not, not thank God, because God has nothing to fucking do with it, because there is no God. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. And hey, another good thing is it is a review from 1999. It doesn't fit with the narrative you'd probably think that I want to lay out here. <laughs> Allmusic.com's review is pretty positive. They give it three out of five stars, and they say the songwriting is tight. The band is in, intense, and that they deliver the goods. Allmusic.com and I clearly aren't buying the same tea over I'm here. fucking outrageous that this review yeah, exists. I could do an entire series on reviewing reviewers. We should. That's amazing. Let's. let's that could be our Christmas special. I'm Robert Christgau. I'm going to destroy everything you fucking ever done. No. Oh, but no. yes, here we come. Christmas special. That's not a bad idea. I like that you suggested a Christmas special. That's fun. Punknews.org, another review of the time, is a bit more in line with what the majority of people, aside from Crazy Town, stands, will think. Punknews.org isn't afraid to get real. They give the album one star. (laughs) The review itself is 
less about the music. It's not actually a good review itself, but hey, whatever. If you're going to take anything away from this, it should be this. Reviews of the gift of game in Crazy Town were mixed at absolute best. There's got to be a Rotten Tomatoes type <laughs> site for music. Sorry, I'm all on ideas this section of the pod, but there there really should be if there isn't. This is your poor man's patent announcing it on the pod so everybody knows. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. The, yeah. Here's a project I'm not doing. No, <laughs> you guys do it and make our job easier. Oh, yeah. That's so we exactly could just be it. like, it's certified rotten. That would be amazing. Somebody right? somebody listening at home, go do that. Go do that. Commercial like, impact. On February 6th, 2001, The Gift of Game was certified platinum by the RIAA. The album has sold at least 1.6 million copies in the USA alone. That feat is achieved solely due to Butterfly. Sugar, The baby. <laughs> album also went platinum in Canada, and it was certified gold in... Oh, That's you know, your Canadian Well, no, but... Yeah, yeah, accent, because, like, yeah, because I like a lot of wrestling, and a lot of wrestlers come from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And, uh, you know, okay, if, you're, okay. if you're an actual Quebec... Accents might, are really hard with one word. You need, like, more than one word, I, I feel like, in general, I for an accent to, like, sounded understand. sounded like I had a problem the way I said it. Canada. Yeah, yeah. Like, it could have just been anything. Sure. Like, you needed... So, anyway. They also went platinum in Canada, is all you really need to know. Oh, and they also were certified gold, this album, in uh, Australia, Finland, Germany, Norway, Switzerland, and the UK. The single Butterfly actually achieved its own certifications, too. Something that not every single does, especially these days. The single went... To on to be certified double platinum in Australia. Uh, it went platinum in Germany, Norway, Sweden, and the UK, and it went gold in Australia, Belgium, and Switzerland. Chart success. Okay, so it charted all over the world on many charts. I'm about to chart myself. <laughs> Let's get into oh, it. Oh, man. I, 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 we're not going over the, wor the world. There will not even be an ROW, no rest of the world. We are only focusing on U.S. billboard charts here. And even that's arguably too much. And that's actually the rule now going forward. Okay, cool. Let's do that. That makes sense. We don't have to say chart too much. It's already gone. Okay. We haven't gotten to chart success. I wonder how many times we've said chart in this episode. I love it. It's been crazy. It's been a wild one, folks. I just popped a little stretch. Maybe you guys want to get up there, shake your legs too. Let's do this. Butterfly peaked at number 21 on the U.S. mainstream rock chart. chart. Number six on the U.S. rhythmic chart, chart. which I, I'm not going to tell you. Well, I don't know what the chart chart means. Number two on the U.S. mainstream top 40 chart. chart. And it hit number one on the following chart. charts. The U.S. Hot Dance Singles chart, chart, the U.S. Alternative Airplay chart, chart and the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. chart. <sighs> you know what? We did it together. You actually helped me get through that. That was the least blacked out for that segment I've ever been. Five, six episodes <laughs> deep now. It was also We're the shortest, well. though. So that was a really short one. <laughs> We're getting better. The rule of always sticking to the U.S. Like that's helping. Very, it's really, it's really helping. helping. Oh, Lord. Oy, oy, oy. Fan response. Fan response. I mean, I don't even know why. <laughs> like, this, this whole segment, it, it, it's because of the fan response that this song is something we're even talking about. It's the fans reacted so hard to this song that they became a legit one-hit wonder. They sold 1.6 million records. They have no other hits. This is it. It was number, it, it was number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Chart. 
That's prom king shit. You want to talk about like just hyper hetero gender? Even the way like they they got they got they 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 were the prom kings of the chart, man. They were number one on the Billboard Hot 100. That is peak normie mainstream shit, man. You're the most popular thing in the country right now, type shit, man. Peak fucking man, number one on the Billboard Hot 100. That's fucking huge. And I, I, I said I wasn't going to yell. Yeah. But here we are. And like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes the true undisputed number one hit in the country is that because it's dope. Because it's fucking dope. It's like actually dope. Bad Bunny, right? Biggest artist in the world. Like his songs are fucking rad. But sometimes... Sometimes when you're the number one in country, whatever. Sometimes it's because people fucking suck, man. And still today, Butterfly has like 238 plus million listens on Spotify and their next biggest track, which isn't even a Crazy Town song, but it's on their like top five, has 226. Mm. And then their actual song is like down to four. Right. Whatever the right. next actual right. of their song. That po- the it Paul Oakenfold, yeah. Oakenfold is sitting at 12 mil is what I'm talking about. Right, then, right, so it goes from like, it actually goes from 238 to four. It's like the Fozzie fall off. You know, yeah. So. <laughs> the Fozzie fall off. The Fozzie fall off. <laughs> oh man. Segment three. Let's do this. What makes this band bad? Wow. Tell me about it. At a high level. <laughs> this is what makes Crazy Town fucking suck in technical terms. They are unoriginal. Their music is overly produced to the point of being processed. It sounds expensive. Uh, it sounds ex- rather, it sounds expensive, cheap, and, and rather dated. You know, in that way, they use the best technology of the time, which inevitably doesn't sound too great 20 years later. And the rapping is poor, and it's the primary delivery for the vocals here. So, on being unoriginal, and this is this is this is this is the big one. Is originality essential for greatness? Is it essential for even merely being good? Is it even possible to be original? Let me work backwards on that. Hell yeah, let's get into this. <clears throat> so let's not worry about whether true originality is a thing. <laughs> let's not get that far. Life and art, this is this is all a conversation, and everything is an iteration on what came before just because just because true originality may be an ideal and not a reality doesn't mean it doesn't mean that fresh and new perspectives can't come about now is it necessary to be original to be good no it certainly helps if you could at least bring something original to the table you know you get definitely get way more points in my book agreed agreed Now, is originality and a unique quote-unquote voice, so to speak, an essential element of greatness? Sure. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I believe so, and so does Jerry. And and Butterfly, hey, man, (laughs) it's it's a pretty original and unique song. I, I mean, and that's part of its greatness. But that isn't a statement that applies to Crazy Town at large. And let's be direct here. The Beastie Boys' influence that rocked Binzer's world is inescapable. At least four tracks on the Gift of Game fall into hardcore Beastie's ripoff territory. I'm talking about Think Fast, Hollywood Babylon, Face the Music, and B-Boy 2000. It 
really all just sounds like a version yeah. of Intergalactic. Mm-hmm. Like not even a variety of Beastie Boy songs. Like it's just a version of that one. Like More intergalactic. Now, is originality required for quality? No, not necessarily. But it sure is a huge asset for art. Some real brownie points, some may say, you know? <laughs> yeah. Let's let's go a little further into this. If you're making video games, poise, a sitcom, I don't care how original you are or, or, or aren't, but if you're making music, writing novels or poetry, yeah, yeah, you need to be original because if you aren't as original as authentically possible as an artist, then you're, you're doing what has already been done actually. And the only saving grace here is maybe turning what an artist did before you into a genre, essentially. And in that case, your mission is to explore that theme in the milieus, right? More heavily and deeply. That's compelling. And that's what makes grindcore death metal uh, bands bands within that genre, as opposed to ripoffs of bands that precede them. I do got to point out what I personally feel is the most original thing in the Crazy Town catalog. And it's the last track of the Gift of Game record. Yes, I'm glad you brought And while I'm not talking about the track itself, I'm talking about the title of the track of the the last song on that album, which is Outro www.crazytown.com yeah. yeah, that's the name of the song. So, start, start quote, outro, www.crazytown.com, end quote. That's, I kind of love it, especially for 1999. So I didn't get into this. I forgot to, but they were not allowed to put their website on the CD like in the liner notes or anything. So they were just so like, oh, that's that. the yeah, name yeah. of the song. Exactly. This is outro. That's why they did that. Oh, I love outro it. their website. Outro. It's amazing. www.crazytown.com. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, there you are. Brilliant. Yeah. And it's such a throwaway song. It's like <laughs> yeah. clearly an in-studio, just like, oh, focus. They're, dude. Crazy Town, man. But that's original. I Crazy that. Town, man. Yo, they had something going on there. But let's keep talking about how they're bad. <laughs> so, uh, on overly produced music. Well, this is essentially part and parcel of them being unoriginal. Every Crazy Town song is so produced, it's devoid of any real defining or distinguishing characteristic. Uh, the most discernible element is Binzer, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about more about that in a little bit. So, really, the takeaway here is the music is produced to the point of true mediocrity and generality. It's it's generic stuff. Especially for a guy that was so excited to be in a band and touring with a band and wanted to make music with a band. Dude, he's all... He's, Wade he's talks about, about that is so band. funny. He yeah. loves a band and touring with a band, but then he makes all this music that like can't really be played on instruments with a four-piece. See, I don't think he can play any instruments at all, so he doesn't give a fuck. It's all, mm, it's all right. the same to him. Right, he doesn't even... Remember, he doesn't work with musicians. He's got players. He has players yeah. from Italy. Yeah. from <laughs> And one from L.A. Oh, from man. LA. On the rapping being bad. The rapping is poor. And that's, again, that is the primary delivery for the vocals. As stated, the most recognizable element of Crazy Town's music 
is Benzer's smoky, hoarse, raspy, forced, and almost amateurish vocals. That's the thing. Benzer really sounds amateurish. It's almost completely insane that he's had a career. He doesn't have talent. He has chutzpah. Right. Right? Like, right, yeah. <laughs> he has moxie. He has audacity and confidence. And he has a personality that thrives on adrenaline. And he's, he's able to just, just go for it. So he can focus enough to write songs and write words that rhyme. And he can manufacture intensity to perform. Which undoubtedly is what brought any success that they saw in and had to have been what music execs saw. Exactly. And I mean, clearly drove the band to this day because it's just him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the, the mere fact that he can, that he can write words, <laughs> the mere fact that he can write words and has so much confidence that it compensates for all the lack of talent and skills and allows him to perform, that, that, that is what makes him able to rap. It's sheer, raw, just, he can do it. He can get it done. He can just get it done. You know what I mean? This is sheer raw that. But, but you really listen to Binzer critically. And, and this, is, this is not someone who should have platinum records, have a platinum record. He did want it really badly. He did really want it, wanted it really badly. Well, folks at home, I, I guarantee you, you, you know many people who are better rappers and writers than Seth Shifty Shellshock Binzer, especially at least, at least, at least, if you are involved in music, you know, believe me, you know many rappers who are better. On to Brett Epic Mazer. Now, he may be a lauded producer. He may be great. I do not feel comfortable commenting on greatness when it comes to someone as a producer. Sometimes I do, but I, I don't hear. And actually, not, to be frank, I've not listened to his work with Bell Biv DeVoe and MC Light. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't. He may be successful at scoring films. I don't know. I've not checked any of that out. Gotta be honest. But as a rapper, dude is a fucking NPC. Like, for real he is someone you meet during a fetch quest like he 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 has no he has no personality or identity as a rapper probably why he's stuck to scoring films i mean how many jews beyond the beastie boys <laughs> from brooklyn could we have really seen to be great rappers Odyssey yahoo i don't think he's from brooklyn oh you're right he's not from brooklyn but he, he is very jewish and he's a rapper he's very jewish i'll give you that <laughs> He's very Jewish and he's a rapper. Jeremy, Co Jeremy Cohen confirmed. Very Jewish. He's very Jewish. And he <laughs> raps. Well, hey, listen, speaking of Jews who rap, shouts to Brett Epic Mazer for wearing a t-shirt that literally says, I'm a lesbian <laughs> during Crazy Town's performance at MTV's Fashionably Loud. Oh. Some things I think the song nails from a technical perspective. Because there are they are they are there. It has an incredibly strong hook. In ways, kind of two hooks with the Red Hot Chili Pepper guitar bit and the, the lyrical hook of, come my lady, come, come my lady, you're my butterfly, sugar baby. Oh, you want you want me to sing That more, was a cue huh? for you. Yep, that's exactly what that was. This is, this is the one song that has production that doesn't leave it processed to absolute ambiguity. Everything about this song is distinct and the production here helps that. This is a wholly original song, even with 
the include the sample it has and that that's hip hop right you know so fuck it this song is original they did something great here with that more specifically the music has actual space in it there's <laughs> but, you know, there's a soundscape here sort of you know but it, i can hear the various instruments and the bass line is bass line is pretty fucking phenomenal this isn't some impenetrable block of processed new metal cheese and yo song is it's fucking simple. It literally never, never fucking changes. The whole song is just a hypnotic and engaging loop. The song doesn't change. There, there's a bridge section where Mazer raps. That's kind of different, as in the bass drops out for the first bit, <laughs> and then it comes back, and then the song is once again the same exact thing over and over. Also, it's kind of trippy. Very trippy. In a good way. Mm-hmm. And horny in not mm-hmm. the most aggressive way. Surprisingly. Surprisingly, but like it's really, really dances the line. And I think actually we might be talking about that in a few other lines that dances in the personal analysis. Um, let's get personal. Let's get personal with this song. Well, listen, uh, it, oh, man, what ever makes this song great definitely is not, it's not the lyrics. That's for shit sure. Uh, for example, this is this. <laughs> <laughs> this is how the song begins. Such a sexy, sexy, pretty little thing. Fierce nipple pierce. You got me sprung with your tongue ring. And I ain't gonna lie, cause your loving gets me high. So to keep you by my side, there's nothing that I won't try. Butterflies in her eyes and the looks to kill. Time is passing I'm asking, could this be real? Because I can't sleep. I can't hold still. The only thing I really know is she got sex appeal. I can feel. Too much is never enough. You're always there to lift me up. When these times get rough, I was lost, now I'm found. Ever since you've been around, you're the woman that I want. So yo, I'm putting it down. Then Mazer, during the bridge, offers up (laughs) this gem. The smartest thing you ever did was take a chance with me. Whatever tickles your fancy, girl, it's me and you, like Sid and Nancy. Oh, boy. (laughs) That's That's not a good thing. Being like Sid and Nancy is not a good thing. Yo, LOL, he fucking told his girl the smartest thing you ever did was get with me. Like, what? This is incredible stuff, folks. This is absolutely fucking amazing. This song does not let you down. It delivers in the most insane ways possible. What a bunch of guys. Yeah, I don't know. You know what? This is I don't know, this isn't supporting my point that the song is great. None of this helps here. It doesn't really. No. Uh, yeah, man. I was say, this this yeah. is hard. Um what I will say is that the song is like um Okay. Okay, I got I got this. I got this. For you me, got this. I got this. Yes. For me, what this song <laughs> just gonna get horny with it. That's all that's all I get from the song. Uh. So for me. <laughs> Hey, buddy. For me, what this song does on a personal level, like, okay, this song is just excruciatingly hyper-gendered shit. It just is. It's like, it's like 
some, it's like a MTV spring break on acid trip, you know? The song is like peak, super late 90s shitbag hot dude with, with, <laughs> with star tattoos. And then just like vicious, vapid, hot chick, super binary, heteronormative as fuck shit. And like, I mean, it's dope. I, I think that's dope. Like, actually, I'm not shitting on it right now. I think that's dope. And, and frankly, this song makes me feel just super, super fucking hetero. And there's one, there's one woman out there in particular who knows exactly what I mean. You mean a Yes. You're talking about a Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You must be talking about a Yeah. I, that is exactly who I'm talking about. Okay. So like, what, what do you mean? You told her crazy towns butterfly makes you think of her sexually. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you found the right one. <laughs> We're just good friends. We're just very good friends. Okay. But, 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 Stop. but no, <laughs> no way to meet you. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Sorry for making you work harder. No, I like working hard, especially for you, baby. And. <laughs> Oh, oh man. But hey, listen, not only that, as I've joked about in our bad band, great song Instagram stories, as many of you obviously know, there's something very unintentionally gay about Crazy Town, and especially Butterfly. And I think, I think that's really fun and hot. I like it. And really, it all amounts to young Seth Shifty Shaw Shock Pinzer. He is that guy who doesn't know that he has completely created an aesthetic of like, like, two, like, like 2003, like, like 1999 to like 2007 hardcore gay porn. It's like heavily yellow tinted and like always done in a hotel room. Well, he's the king of the town. He's the king of the town. Yeah. Shit. Well, fuck, that's all I've got. And that may actually be the least relatable I've been yet. Who knows? I don't know. Actually, I don't know how any of that is going to land with any of you folks at home. But you all just got to know us a lot better. Maybe primarily just me. Fuck it. Whatever. Anyway, folks, that's it. That's it. And I think it's time to bid you all, the folks at home, a good night and a farewell. So, folks, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. Stay strange. Be kind, and of course, love yourselves. Yeah, and sometimes a ton of passion and perseverance pays off, and you could find something besides bad drug addiction <laughs> to keep you going in life. But sometimes drugs are all you need. <laughs> I, I don't know. Disagree. <laughs> yeah, hard disagree. Sorry, Father. Anyway, uh, anyway, anyway. Something. See you in hell, folks. <laughs> <laughs>